0: The following audio is from Summit Church. For more information on Summit Church, visit www.summitonline.tv. Good morning. Welcome to Summit Church. It is one of those just extra beautiful days, right? Like it's October 1st, kind of feels like fall outside. It's just pretty. I'm glad you're here to worship God with us. Here's what we're doing today, just jumping right into it. We are in the 17th chapter of the Gospel of John, so we are really getting close to the end. It'll still probably take us another four or five months to get to it, but we're getting there. You know, we are plugging away. We're in the 17th chapter, and in the 17th chapter, something very special happens. The entire chapter is devoted to one prayer, one prayer, whole chapter. The person praying the prayer is important because the person praying the prayer is named Jesus. Okay, When Jesus prays, which we have to assume he prayed frequently, he tells us to pray, he taught his disciples how to pray, and despite the frequency of his praying, the gospel writers only wrote down a few of them. Like If you read the, the gospels, all four of them, yes, there's multiple prayers of Jesus in there, but there's really not a ton. And there's none near as long as this one. And so what, what I think is we've kind of stumbled here into a really sacred passage, a really important passage, one that we need to kind of pause and really look at deeply and intently because when Jesus is praying, we should listen because he's praying so that God the Father will move. And in this particular chapter, Jesus is praying for first himself, then for his 11 remaining disciples that they will carry on when he's gone, And then at the very end of chapter 17, this is the coolest part, Jesus is praying for the future church. He's praying for us. We have recorded in John chapter 17 a prayer that Jesus prayed for you. That's awesome. And we'll get there in three weeks. Now you can see up here that we're calling this three prayers. It's only one prayer. Jesus didn't like pause and say amen three times. It's it's one prayer, but it's for three different groups of people, himself, his disciples, the future church. We're going to take a week to look at each, but what I wanted to call this series, this little series within our John series, I wanted to call it the Lord's Prayer. That's what I wanted to call it, because like, this is, this is his massive prayer. This is the Lord's Prayer for himself, for his disciples, for his people. I wanted to call it that, but see, there's this thing called the Lord's Prayer already. <laughs> our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. So I didn't want to confuse anyone. I didn't want to start a battle, like, do you really think you're going to correct 2,000 years? No. So I wanted to call it the Lord's Prayer, and then his wiser head said, just call it three prayers, and you can call it the Lord's Prayer in private. So was, I'm going to go with that. Three prayers, one each week. First one, Jesus prays for himself. If, if anyone needs ammunition as to why we should pray, if Jesus, the Son of God, is praying for himself, we should take note. He's doing it. We should do it. Let's pray for us right now and then let's see what he says about himself. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that, God, this was written down so that we can see the heart of your son, uh, not only for himself and for his disciples, but for us, the future church. We thank you for that, Father. We ask now that you would enlighten us, that you would open our hearts and our minds to the truth that is here, that you would transform us to look more like your son, Jesus, and you would do that through your Holy Spirit. Do that now and where, from wherever we're at. Lord, just let us take one more step towards you. We love you and we thank you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. John chapter seventeen, verse one. We're actually only going to look at the first part of verse one. So the first part of verse one. After Jesus said this, what had Jesus just said? John chapter sixteen, verse thirty-three. I told you last week. It's one of my favorite verses. Take heart. I have overcome the world. In this world you will have trouble, but take heart, don't worry, don't stress out about it. I have overcome the world. In light of that, in light of what Jesus did to overcome the world, he then says, now let us pray. Now I'm going to pray. And I think if he's doing that and he told us in chapter 16 multiple times, ask in the name of Jesus and the Father will give it to you, he's praying. I think this is part of overcoming the world. Prayer is a big part of it talked about that a little bit last week. So, in light of that statement, after Jesus had said this, he looked towards the heavens and he prayed. The posture that Jesus took was this. He looked to the heaven, and he prayed. How do we know this? Because this is the typical male Jewish prayer posture. Hands lifted to the heavens, eyes open, face looking towards God. And he prayed. And can you just kind of sense the moment? We're not sure right now if Jesus is walking towards the Garden of Gethsemane or if he's still in the upper room. So either way, he has just said, take heart, I've overcome the world. And he's like, let's pray. I think everyone in the room kind of went, whoop. Now, I want to prove something to you real quick. Uh, I need everyone to, let's pray again. Ready? Let's pray. Go. Okay, you see what you just did? Like 90% of you just went, okay. Okay. Like, we just prayed, but if you're cool, this will do, okay. And I'm not, I don't want to make a big deal of posture, but we do the exact opposite of what Jesus did. He goes like this, we go like this. Okay, just want to throw this out there. The physical posture that you're in when you pray matters very, very, very little. It is much more the posture of your heart before God that matters when you pray. So whether you're laying down, standing up, jumping, running, doesn't really matter. But here's what I do want to say, like, our culture, we're just hardwired. Like, someone says pray, you just... Pfft. Just for fun. I mean, it may trip you out so bad you can't do it, but like, just for fun this week, like pray with your eyes open once. And just just look to that. You know, it's not like you're emulating Jesus and going, oh, if I pray the way he did, then God's going to hear more. No, it's not that at all. But I just want you to realize, like, this is not the only legal way to pray. Okay? It's not the only legal way. So just, just be aware of that. So... Uh, Finish verse 1, the beginning of the prayer. Father, he addresses his Father with an intimate term. Father, the hour has come. Here's the first request. First request in his prayer. Big prayer, sacred prayer, right? What is his first request? Glorify me. Glorify your Son. That sounds very selfish, but look at the next statement. Glorify your Son that your Son may glorify you. Even the most audacious of requests when asked in a way where the prayer's heart is genuinely that that request would ultimately bring more glory to God, that is a beautiful prayer. God, glorify me. What? So that you might be more glorified. God, I really want this job so that you might be more glorified. God, I really need this relationship to work so that you might be more glorified. And church, if that is your heart, if that is your genuine belief that in requesting this, God will be more glorified, you are barking up the right tree. That I assure you. So Jesus asked this audacious thing, glorify the Son so that the Son may glorify you. Now, we have to remember how Jesus will be glorified. It is through immense sacrifice. So when Jesus is saying, glorify me, he's not saying, make me shiny and bright, Father. He's saying, give me strength and fortitude to allow me to crawl onto a cross. To allow me to take upon myself the sins of all mankind. Glorify me in such a way as to conquer death. He's not asking for riches. He's asking for the strength to do the job at hand. Father, glorify me, and in my glorification, you will then be glorified. In my sacrifice and in my death, you, God, will be glorified. And that's how he begins his prayer. Now, when we're talking about the glory of God, I want us to understand that it happens in a couple ways, and Jesus will reference them in this passage. The first way that I think Jesus is hoping that God will be glorified is glorification through the salvation of man. Jesus will start to talk about that in verse 2, but I just want to throw it out there. God is glorified when man is saved, when man comes into relationship with him, when eternity is secured. God is glorified in the salvation of man. So that is something we need to be praying about. That is something we need to be pursuing. That is something we need to embrace in our own lives is the joy and the glory of our salvation because in doing that, in rejoicing in that, we glorify God himself. The second way that God is glorified is when The son reflects the father, or in then following that thought process out, we reflect the son. Here's how we know this is true, because we got to look at the word that Jesus is using. The word glory here that Jesus is using primarily means to bestow honor or splendor. So God bestow honor and splendor upon me so that I might bestow honor and splendor upon you. But there is a sub-meaning of this word glory that means to reflect It hints at a representation. So when Jesus is saying, hey, I want you to glorify me, what he's saying is, reveal yourself completely through me so that in doing so, as I reflect you, you will be glorified. Now, we take that a step further. When we reflect Jesus to this world, we're glorifying God the Father. So there's a couple ways that Jesus is hoping this glory will be played out. Through sacrifice, through the representation that he has of the Father And then he continues his prayer. And he continues it in third person, which kind of trips me out. But here we go. Verse 2. For you granted him. Jesus is praying and calling the person that God granted this authority to him. So it's, it's interesting. But for you granted him authority over all people, that he might give eternal life to all those you have given him. God gave Jesus the task God gave Jesus the task of securing eternity for all mankind through working and figuring out how to deal with their sins. Since that authority has been given to him, he now has the authority to grant that eternal life in him to all who respond to the call of God on their life. He has that authority because he did it. He earned it. Verse 3. Jesus himself in this prayer starts to clarify what eternal life is, verse 3. Now this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. I think for a lot of us, when we picture eternity, what is eternal life? We picture paradise, right? Like streets of gold, awesomeness, harps and whatnot. Like that's, that's eternal life. But that's not what Jesus says it is at all. Eternal life is not a final resting place. It is a relationship with the Father. That relationship does not come through some kind of religious system. You don't have to climb a ladder. You don't have to dress a certain way. You don't have to make sure you do exactly the right things That eternal life and that relationship doesn't come through a religious system. It doesn't come through a mystical meditation. You don't know God because you look at the right pool of water long enough with a crossed eye and then all of a sudden he reveals himself to you. That's not how we know God. That's not how we come into relationship with him. No, the way that we know God is through his son. If you know and if you've seen Jesus, Jesus himself says, then you know and have seen my father because we are one. And that relationship with our Heavenly Father comes only through Jesus Christ. Hebrews chapter 1, verse 3. The Son, Jesus, is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being. If you've seen him, you've seen God, and you know God. He sustains all things by his powerful word. After he had provided purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty in heaven. Eternal life is relationship with the Father. Relationship with the Father comes only through the Son. He has the authority to dole out eternal life. Verses 4 and 5 are beautiful. Absolutely beautiful. Jesus, in his prayer to his Father, says, I'm coming home. Dad, I'm coming home. Verses 4 and 5 I have brought you glory on earth. Father, I've done this. I've glorified you. I've done so by finishing the work you gave me to do. And now, Father, glorify me in your presence. Bring me home. Glorify me in your presence with the glory I had with you before the world began. Dad, I did it. And I'm coming home miss you it's been lonely down here and the job's been really hard sometimes but we did it we did it and now I get to come back and I can't wait to be back with you just like it was before but you see your people that you love so much you see they, they, they sin and we had to fix that so that they could have eternity again so they could be in a relationship with you and, and that was my job I had to come fix it I had to become the Lamb of God. I had to do that. But guess what, Dad? It's done. We did it. Like, we got it. and I'm coming back. I'll see you in a couple days. What a beautiful and intimate prayer between a father and a son. I don't want to minimize this. and I sure don't want to minimize what I'm about to liken it to. But when I read that, I thought about service men and women who leave and go overseas for years at a time to do their job, to do their duty, to complete their task. I think about that, and I think about the calls home when their time is done, and they get to come back, they've done their job, and they call back to a wife or to a child or to a parent, and they go, Mom, Dad, Husband, I'm coming back. I've missed you so much. It's been so hard at times, but I had a job to do, and I did it, and now I'm coming home. And I hope it's just like how I left it, I hope it's, I can't wait to be back the way it would. Just be back with you. Our media has done a really great job of showing those reunions. Father or mother goes and serves and their kid doesn't know they're coming back and they walk into their classroom and you know, you're just bawling your eyes out. This is beautiful. Because you get it. You get what that man or woman has done for this country and then you see the sacrifice that that child has made and then you, you see that reunion, you're just like, Yeah! I love, you show me those all day long until so I run out of tears. Like this, I would love, that would be awesome. Can you imagine the reunion between God the Father and God the Son? We did it. Job's done. Come here, my boy. Here's your seat. I kept it warm for you, you know? Come on. What an intimate prayer. Dad, I'm done and I'm coming home. Now, there's a couple things we need to point out about verses four and five, two, two things in particular. Um, the first one is that Jesus is talking like he's already finished the job. Did you catch that when you're reading it? Dad, I'm done. And I don't know if, like, God the Father, they just have such a relationship, he knows what he means, but, like, I, I wonder if God the Father's like, no, you're not. <laughs> How about another? I know, three days it's on the clock there, son. Uh, you're, not, you're not done. You haven't finished the work yet. I don't think Jesus is ignorant. I don't think he misspoke. I don't think John wrote it down wrong. Here, here's what I think Jesus is referring to, just my opinion. For us, we talked about this like a couple months ago but really just a few hours ago in the upper room. Do you remember when Jesus dismissed Judas Iscariot, called him out as the betrayer and said, get out of here and go get on doing what you're going to do? Do you remember that passage? And the reason that Jesus said, go now and do what you're going to do is because in Jesus' mind, at that moment, the clock started. The time had come. The game was on. And in that action, there was no turning back. There was no retreat the resolve and the fortitude that Jesus had to see it through. He was resolutely intent upon completing his task, so much so that I think when he's praying, he's just like jumping to the conclusion, we did it. We got a, we got a bunch. Of, I mean, I know there's a few things we got to do, but hey, we did it. Like, it's it's good, and I'm coming home. And some of you are going, no, Todd, it, he's not resolute. Like, it's you're forgetting the Garden of Gethsemane, where they're headed to right now. Jesus is going to pray again here in just a few moments, but it's just going to be between he and the Father. And we have it recorded that he goes, God, if there's any other way, I want that way. He's going to pray that prayer. He's going to ask for a way out. So he's not resolute. Church, let us never forget how Jesus ended that prayer. Not my will, but yours be done. He wasn't asking for a way out of pain for the sins of all humanity. That job's done and secured. That was his purpose, not why he came. That was never in doubt. He's just looking at the cross, going, God, if there's an audible right now where I can still pay for all the sins of the world and I don't have to die a horrific death as a sinner, like if, if there's another way, great, but not my will, yours be done. Jesus never lost heart. He never turned back. And that's why he's praying like this. I've already brought you glory. And I've done so by finishing the work you gave me to do. Powerful words. Second question. What is he returning to? He's so excited to get back to like what it was before the beginning of time. So, like, What is he returning to? What, what's he so excited to get back to? Well, of course, it's relationship with the Father. Like, I, we get that. But there's actually a picture of it. There's a picture of it, and it's recorded by the same author. It's recorded by John, a vision that he had of heaven, and he wrote it down in a book we call Revelation. So now, a lot of Revelation, if you've read it, it's a little sketchy because it's like it's a dream. And you're trying to interpret what are the locusts and what are the, you know what are the bowls, and what are the seals, and what are what are all these things. So it's some of it's tough. This is, in my estimation, not allegory. These are not representations. I think John, the gospel writer, saw what happened in Revelation chapter 5, and I think it's a window into exactly what Jesus is returning to and to what he's doing today. So Revelation chapter 5, verses 11 through 13. This is what Jesus is so anxious to get back to. Then I looked, so this is John in the stream. So then I looked and I heard the voice of many angels, numbering thousands upon thousands and ten thousands, ten thousand times ten thousand. Someone can do that math later. They encircled the throne and the living creatures and the elders. In a loud voice they were saying, Worthy is the Lamb. So there, right there, that's the indication of who. All of these tens of thousands times tens of thousands of angels are circling along with the elders. Who are they circling? They're encircling the Lamb, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. They're encircling Jesus. Okay, so it's right there. So they're circling around. And what are they saying? Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and praise. Oh my goodness, that's a lot of stuff. Do you see all, all the things that the Lamb of God is worthy to receive? That, that's a big list power and wealth, and wisdom, strength, honor, and glory, and praise. He is worthy all of those, and He is receiving those. Then in verse 13, then I heard every creature in heaven. All right, so track with this every creature in heaven, and every creature on earth, and every creature under the earth. Not even sure what those are. And then on the sea, and then all, okay, that is in them. So everything in between saying, So what is. John saying here, what did he see? He saw all of creation. Every single thing. Even some things are like, I don't know what's in the middle of these things, but there's some things there, and even those things are now doing what? What what is everything doing? They're saying, to him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb, be praise and honor and glory and power forever and ever. That's what he was eager to get back home to. That's what he left when he came down here to die for your sins and mine. And that's what he is worthy of. All creation shouting to the Lamb of God, praise and honor and glory and power forever and ever. Amen. I see why he wanted to get back so badly. And church, in this, I see our calling. I see our calling that comes from the gratitude of knowing that Jesus left that throne, left this amazing awesomeness, left it, came down, became human so that he might die for us all and grant eternal life, which is relationship with the Father. We get to go be there. We get to go be a part of this. And out of gratitude for that, we owe him Everything. Everything. Now, as the band comes back up here, a couple questions that come from this prayer. First one, if Jesus, in being Jesus, seeks to glorify the Father, then I think we, not being Jesus, should try to do the same thing. So my question is, are you currently glorifying the Father? Are you glorifying him in your praise and in your worship? Are you glorifying him in your reflection of the Son, Jesus? Are you glorifying him in the working out of your salvation with fear and trembling? Are you glorifying him in your extending salvation through the gospel to other people? Are you glorifying the Father? If Jesus thought it was important to do so, I ask you, are you doing it as well? Yes or no? You know the answer to that. I can't decide for you. Just yes or no. Are you glorifying God with your life? And second question. Jesus who is now seated with the Father, is he basking in your current praise and honor and glory and power? Is he basking in that? Or is he eagerly awaiting it because you're not doing it? Second question. Today, I intentionally got done early. If you're looking at your what you're like, he got through that quick. Because I want us in this moment of response to have some space and some time to do what I think we must do. And that is return with gratitude the praise and the honor that Jesus rightfully deserves. It's like we're going to have like an impromptu night of worship in the morning. The response time today is going to be the just and due praise that Jesus deserves, that he deserves. And this is a place of freedom, I hope, where you can do that. Because it's not about your posture. It's not about how well you sing or don't sing. It's not about that. It's about your heart saying, thank you. Thank you, Jesus, for doing what you did. And now I return to you what is rightfully yours. If you're sitting here going, I can't really, I can't do that. I'm sorry, I'm not going to do that. Then I would, I would just simply ask you to look at what Jesus did for you. And ask yourself why you can't. In light of that, why can you not? And maybe the reason you can't is because you've never really fully embraced what Jesus did for you. Maybe you've never really fully accepted it. Maybe what you need to do today is accept that amazing gift of grace and sacrifice. You need to accept Jesus and you need to become a worshiper worshiper through being saved. I don't know. I don't know where you're at. But I know this. Our pastors and our prayer team are going to be up here today, and I want you to pray for whatever you need or want in the name of Jesus that it might glorify God. So other people, yourself, whatever that is, I want to be praying with you and for you. We have communion in the back of the room to remind you of the sacrifice that Jesus made so that your sins may be done away with. That is a beautiful reminder that should fuel your worship. But most importantly today, as we respond We are giving God all of this, okay, Uh, just quickly. We are giving him power in our wealth, our wisdom, our strength, our honor. We're giving him glory. We're giving him praise. And we need to be doing that forever and ever and ever. Church, I need to be doing that. Those of you who know Jesus and have accepted his amazing gift of grace need to be doing that. We need to be doing that. And so now we're going to have some time to do that. Cool? We're going to do that. So normally I pray and then I have you stand up, but right now I want you to stand up now. I want you to stand up first and I want you to shake off the sit-downs, shake them off. I want you to get some space between you and I want you to take two seconds right now and just picture Jesus enthroned beside the Father having completed the work that has radically transformed your life. If you are in Christ, I want you to picture that and I want you to go, what in the world would possibly hold me back from giving him the just and due praise that he deserves? So I want you to picture that. That is the fuel for this time of response. And now God in heaven, we pray that you will be glorified by what we do here in this place in the next few minutes. And by what we do when we leave. We pray that you hear our prayers and that you move. But most importantly, this morning, I ask for the freedom in this place to worship you, to honor you, to praise you, to bring glory to you, Jesus. For you are worthy of it all. We thank you. We thank you for what you've done. And we praise you for it. it's in your name we pray. Amen. Let's begin.